Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 7. We're continuing, of course, our study of this great book. In fact, when you think about the book of 1 Samuel, it's the transition. We've been seeing this transition from the time of the judges to the time of the kings. The last judge is Samuel, and the first judge is going to be Saul. And this book will meet them, and we'll also meet the second king, which is David. David doesn't become the king until we get to 2 Samuel, so we're going to see that. At this time, and this is the problem, the nation of Israel is turned away from God. So what God has done is he's raised up Samuel as what we call the final judge. If you remember, a judge is a deliverer, that's what he is, to turn the people back to God and gain victory over their enemies. We've seen over and over, whenever the nation of Israel was in fellowship with God and doing what God wanted, they'd have victory. When they're out of fellowship, not doing what God wanted, uh, they did not win or they did not have victory. This morning, we're going to see a really a great turning point because we're going to see victory. Samuel exhorts the nation to turn back to God and we realize we see this passage that victory always comes in God's power. And we'll see it in this passage, but we also think about it in our Christian lives. The only way we're going to have victory in the Christian life is to live in God's power, the power of the Holy Spirit that's in us. So as we look at this passage this morning, I'll look at it the, kind of the three things. We're going to see Samuel is the faithful one. We're going to see Israel turns to God, and we're going to see that God gives the victory. So a lot of great things there. When you, when you think about victory, you know, we think about sports, and of course, I've lived here a long time, and I remember when I first got here, I started following, of course, OSU sports, and I love it, and sometimes we win, sometimes we lose, and, but it's always great to study it and to follow it. But you know, I coached for a while, and I was on the football staff at Mississippi State, and when I, go, when I think back about victories, uh, I, I was there for about eight football seasons, but there were two things that stand out. One was in the second year that we were all there, we we, had, we got to go to the Sun Bowl. We won enough to go to the Sun Bowl. And, and back in those days, there weren't but 15 bowls. There weren't 35 bowls. There were 15. And uh, we went and beat North Carolina in the Sun Bowl. I still remember that. That was fantastic in El Paso. But the second thing that I remember is we were playing, in those days it was called Memphis State, but now they're called the University of Memphis. We were playing them in Memphis, and we were supposed to win by a good bit. But they were beating us. And with about two minutes to go, they were ahead by a touchdown, and we marched the whole length of the field. And on the last play of the game, we scored a touchdown. Now, in those days, you didn't have overtime. So you either had to go for two or kick, and it'd end up as a tie, or you'd either win or you'd lose. So we went for two, and we made it, and we beat them 29-28. I still never forget that victory. And, you know, when you think about victories, the, the Greek word Nike, that's the word for victory. And when we look at our passage this morning, we're going to see Israel has already lost two. They've lost two big battles to the Philistines. It's because they're not doing what God wants them to do. This morning, we're going to get the victory. We're going to see how they get the victory. And so a question could be raised, how do we get victory? How do we as believers gain victory in the Christian lives? Because we're set apart to, to live righteously and godly. And we know this, that the Bible basically says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about victory uh, as a Christian in a couple of ways. First of all, the first one is this victory over sin and death. And that happened through Jesus Christ. He died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. And when we put our faith in him, we have eternal life. And so salvation, we have eternal life, salvation by faith in Christ. So every one of us in this room who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've trusted in him, you've put your faith in him and believed in him for eternal life, you have victory over sin and death. Then the second thing is victory in our Christian lives. Philippians 4.13, we can do all things through the one through Christ who strengthens me. If we're going to have victory as we live day in and day out, it's got to be through God's power, the power of the Holy Spirit. So we can have victory daily in God's power and in God's strength. So we're going to see that, the idea of 
living for God and having victory, and we're going to see what happens with the nation of Israel against the Philistines. So let me remind you of where we are in 1 Samuel 7. The nation of Israel, that we're going to see that Israel turns back to God, and in his victory, in his power, there is great victory. So let's remember where we are. If you remember, the, we're at the very end of the time of the judges. Even though the book of Judges is over in First Samuel, we're at the end of the time of the judges. The nation has turned away from God. They've worshipped false gods. You could say, are you kidding me? And they are. They've turned away from God, and God allows them to be defeated. In fact, if you remember last time, we saw uh, in chapters 5 and 6, the nation of Israel lost the battle. They lost 30,000 men. They lost the two priests. The Ark of the Covenant was stolen. The high priest fell over backwards and broke his neck. Everything happened to them. The Philistines stole the Ark, and we saw two chapters in which the Philistines had the Ark, and God judged them, and a lot of bad things. Their God fell over. They got tumors. They got sick, and they finally said, we got to give up this Ark of the Covenant, and they sent it back to the Israelites. And we ended chapter 6 with a, a city called Beth Shemesh. They got the Ark back, and then they called for people from Kirith Jerim to come get the Ark. And that's, that's basically where we ended. As we move to chapter 7, we're going to see... Finally, victory for the nation of Israel. Let me give you the outline for the passage. We're going to see the ark is taken to Kerith Jerim. Then we're going to see revival. Notice that's the key. Revival, that the nation of Israel turns back to God. Then notice what happens. They have victory over the Philistines. And then we're going to end the, the chapter as, he, as the writer ends the chapter by giving us sort of a summary of the life of Samuel. Even though his life's not over. In fact, he's going to be in a lot of the rest of the book. But we're going to see what happens there. I refer, I kind of call this chapter or this section uh, revival and victory. And we have to understand something. For the nation of Israel to have victory, they have to be in fellowship and with God. In fact, what we've seen is this. If the nation of Israel obeys God, they have victory. If the nation of Israel does not obey God, they are defeated. Now remember, God chose from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Moses on down. He has chosen this people group. Now, when I say chosen, he's not chosen them for salvation. He's chosen them for service. So they have a particular responsibility in the world as God's chosen people. Now, each individual Jewish person, just like each individual Gentile person, to have eternal life salvation, that comes by faith and faith in, in the Old Testament, faith in the Messiah. And for us, with faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, we know who he is. So bottom line is the nation of Israel has turned away from God. And they're being judged, and they're not winning, and they've lost the last two battles. Well, let's see what happens as we get to chapter 7. We see about the Ark of the Covenant. Notice verse, chapter uh, 7, verse 1. Now the men of Kareth-Jerim came and took the Ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill, and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. And so the ark, if you remember what it is, the ark is a box. And it's, it's nothing special about the box. That's why when the Jewish people took the box out to the battle, it didn't help them. Remember, it's a box. It's wood painted, covered over with solid gold. And that represented Jesus Christ because the wood represented his humanity and the gold represented his deity. There is a solid gold lid on the top of the box that has two angels on it that's made out of gold. It's called the mercy seat. It's called the place of propitiation, satisfaction. God would sometimes meet with the nation of Israel between the cherubim. He would sometimes come there. They would also take once a year on the Day of Atonement, they would take the blood of a bull and the blood of a goat and pour it out on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which was covering the sins of the nation of Israel for a year. So just remember, the Ark was very special, but it wasn't anything but a box. And when the Jewish people thought, we bring the Ark out to the battle, that'll help us win. No, they're not in fellowship with God, so it doesn't matter 
what they bring out to battle, they're not going to win. In the same way, for us, if we're not in fellowship with God, we're not going to be able to serve him and do things. That's just the way it is. And so they, uh, it says, The men of Kerichirim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill, and they consecrated They set apart this guy named Eleazar, and he was going to be the guy to keep the ark. In fact, I want to remind you, the ark was originally at Shiloh. They took it out to the battle. They got it stolen. It got all the way down to Ashdod, Gath, Ekron, and then the Philistines gave it back at Beth Shemesh, and then at Beth Shemesh they take it, and I just don't have it on that map, but they took it to Kareth Jerim, so they came and got it. Now, notice verse 2. From that day, the ark remained at Kareth Jerim. The vine was long, for it was 20 years, and the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. I want you to understand, it was there for 20 years. The next time we're going to see the ark moved is when David is the king, and he wants to bring the ark to Jerusalem. So it's going to be 20 years. And if you notice, it says, and they lamented, uh, the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. There's sadness. There's no joy. Even though they got the ark back, they've been defeated. They're out of fellowship with God. And that's what happens. Anytime we have sin in our lives, we're not going to have joy. We're not going to have the joy of his salvation. Psalm 51, when David writes and he says, Oh, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. When we, are, as believers, are, li- are living in sin, if we've got sin in our life or are not in fellowship with God, we will have no joy. We will have no joy. And that's what happened. The nation of Israel is lamenting. They're sad. They're upset because they've, they've done wrong. And uh, now we're going to see what Samuel does. And remember the judge? A judge was, uh, the Hebrew word is sofertim, which means a deliverer. And so when you think about Samuel as a judge, it is true that he helped make decisions for them like a judge, but he was a deliverer. And if you go back to the book of Judges, there are seven cycles where the nation of Israel would do this. They would turn away from God. God would allow an enemy to conquer them. They would cry out to God. God would raise up a judge, a deliverer. They would have great victory, defeat the enemy, and then they'd be happy. We're going to see that the nation of Israel has turned away from God. God has allowed the Philistines to defeat them. They've cried out to God. Samuel is raised up. He's going to lead them back to God and they're going to gain the victory. And that's the last time that happens in the Bible for the judges. Because after Samuel, Samuel in the next couple of chapters, we're going to get to chapters 8, 9, and 10, we're going to see that Samuel anoints Saul as the first king of Israel. So it's going to change. So this is where we are. Now watch what happens, and this is going to help us. Watch verse 3. It says, Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, now notice that's the key. If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Asherahs from among you, direct your hearts to the Lord, and serve him alone, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. Now, I want you to see what he says. He says, you, if, you wanna, if you wanna get back and have victory, you've gotta return to the Lord, and there are three things you have to do to return to the Lord. He says, you gotta remove the foreign gods, those foreign gods, Baal and Ashtaroth, we'll talk about that. Then he says, you gotta direct your hearts to the Lord. That means you've got to turn to God and say, I wanna, I, I love you, I wanna be there, I wanna, and then you have to serve him. Those are the big three things. Notice again, he says, direct, he says, turn, remove those 
foreign gods, gods, direct your heart to the Lord and serve him. Now, for us, it's the same thing. Listen, if we want to have victory in the Christian life, if we want to walk in the, in the Spirit, if we want to do the things we're supposed to do, first of all, we've got to move anything out of our lives, and that means deal with sin. Because sin is really, whenever we're sinning, we're saying we're God, or we're saying we're putting something else in front of God. That's what sin really is. It's lawlessness. It's disobeying God. It's moving away from God. So the first thing we really need to do is to deal with sin. The second thing is direct our hearts to the Lord, to focus on Him. As the Hebrews passage says, run the race with endurance, looking unto Jesus. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We've got to turn to God and say, Lord, I want, I want to know you. I want to live for you. I want, to, I want to grow. And then the third thing we do is serve him. We offer our lives. We say, God, take my life. Use me for your glory. I know it's a scary thing, but that's what we have to do. And if we're going to make an impact for Christ, we do those three, three things. And so we deal with sin. We maintain our fellowship and we serve God. That's what the nation of Israel has to do. Well, watch what they do. Look at verse 4. So the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the Ashtaroths and served the Lord alone. They did what Samuel told them to do. They did what Samuel told them. They said, we're going we're gonna to get rid of these gods, and we'll talk more about it in just a second, and we're going to turn back to God, and we're going to serve him, and we're going to live for him. Now, they're his people. Guess what? When they get back into fellowship with him, he's going to give them victory. And that's what happens in our lives. We say, well, I'm a child of God and everything. I'm sure we are. But if we're living in the flesh, we're, we're powerless to serve him. And when we say, I'm going to deal with sin, I'm going to get back with God, I want to live for him, then God says, okay, now I can use you. I can take you and use you for my glory. And that's what we want. So look what happened. So the sons of Israel, verse 4, removed the Baals and the Asherahs and served God alone. Now, when we think about these gods, Baal was one of the gods of, uh, that, that tied in even with the Philistines. Baal was supposed to be the god of fertility, the god of the sky, and he was supposed to be the son of Dagon. You remember Dagon? Dagon was the Philistine god that was half man, half fish, that fell over twice and that kind of thing. Ashtaroth was like a female deity, a, a, a sort of fertility, a god of love, goddess of love, goddess of hunt, uh, Aphrodite. Uh, later is the same kind of goddess that people worshipped. And so they've been worshipping uh, Baals and Ashtaroth. And so what they said is, get, get rid of it. So the sons of Israel removed it. They got rid of the Baals. They got rid of all these things. And they served the Lord alone. And that's what they did. And then it goes on to say that then Samuel said, let's gather all Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. Now he's going to bring the people together. They're going to go to a little place called Mizpah. And it, this is what Samuel's going to do. He says, let's bring back together and I'm, we're going to pray. We're turning to the Lord and we're going to gain victory. Now watch what he does, which is really unique. They gathered to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mizpah. Now, what's going to happen? They, they pour out water. What does that mean? It's pouring out our life. What, what they did is they got together. Samuel's the priest now, because remember, everybody else is dead. He comes forward, takes water in some kind of pitcher or something, and he pours it out before the Lord. And it's symbolic of saying, we pour out our lives to God. We say to God, take our lives, take our nation, take us and use us for your glory. We do the same thing when we say, Lord, I want you to take my life and, and use it for your glory. We're pouring out our lives. They're turning to God and they're saying, we want our lives to count for you. 
Now, this is powerful because if you look at that, they've gotten rid of the false gods. They say we want to serve God, and they say to God, we've poured out our life, lives to you. Well, when they come together, the Philistines think the Jews must be gathering for war. Look at verse 7. Now, when the Philistines heard the sons of Israel had gathered to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. Remember, there's five main cities of the, of the Philistines. They have five lords. The five lords went up against Israel. And so they've decided, oh, Israel's coming together. They must be coming together to fight. So all the Philistines are going to come fight. Philistines feel pretty confident. They've won the last two. In fact, they won the last one really big. I mean, killing 30,000 people and taking the ark and everything else. So they feel pretty good about it. And look at, look at the very end of verse 7. It says, when the sons of Israel heard it, heard that the Philistines were coming after them, they were afraid of the Philistines. Well, I mean, why? Because the Philistines are coming to fight, and they're afraid because they've lost the last two. And the truth is this. Sometimes we think, I, I don't think I can do that. I don't, I don't think I can live for God. And God says, yes, you can. You don't have to be afraid. I'll never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear? I'll always be there with you. I am your strength and your shield. I am your power. We don't have to be afraid. They're afraid. They've come back to God, but they're afraid because they've lost the last two battles. They don't know what's going to happen to them, and the Philistines are coming. They had not been in fellowship. Now they're in fellowship, and God's going to fight for them. And look what happens in verse 8. It says, Then the sons of Israel said to Samuel, Samuel, do not cease to cry to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Have you noticed the change? They don't think a box is going to save them. They think the Lord is going to save them. And they tell Samuel, please be praying, Samuel. Please be praying. So, And that, that is the key. The key is prayer is maintaining our fellowship with God, living for him, being close to him, maintaining that fellowship. And, and, and for us in the Christian life, listen, it's the same thing. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. That's why he says, abide in me and I in you. As a, as a vine abides in the branch, so you, know, so you must abide in me. Because uh, apart from me, you can do nothing. And in Christ, we can do all things. And so the bottom line is, if we're going to have victory for Christian life, if we're going to have victory, we're going to have to be close to him. We're going to stay in fellowship with him. The Jewish people have done it. They've done it, and it's getting ready for a battle. And so they, they cry out to Samuel and said, Oh, Samuel, don't stop praying for us, because the enemy's coming. You know, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Well, I want you to see what Samuel does. It's amazing. Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a whole burnt Offering to the Lord, and Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel, and notice the end, and the Lord answered him. What is he doing? He's, he's, he's offering up a sacrifice. Listen, we, this is the second thing he did. Remember the first thing he did? He took the water, and he poured it out, and it was symbolic of pouring out their lives to God. He takes a lamb, and he puts it on an altar, and he burns it completely up, burns it all the way up. And that's symbolic of offering our lives to God, giving our lives in a total sacrifice. And that would be like any of us in this room saying, Lord, I want you to take my life. I give it to you. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I want you to take my life and use me for your glory. And that's what he's saying. And that's what they're doing. And they're pouring out their lives. And so they've done two things. They've poured the water out. And they've given a burnt offering. And notice the end of that verse. Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And notice, and the Lord answered him. Now, God's going to give them victory. You know why? Because they've dealt with sin. They've maintained the fellowship. And they serve God. 
If we want to have victory in the Christian life, if we want to be able to live for Christ and make an impact for Him, we've got to deal with sin, we've got to maintain our fellowship, and we've got to serve Him. We've got to use the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given to us. Well, watch what God does. Now, Samuel, verse 10, was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. Now, I want you to remember that Baal was called the God of the sky, but God is the one who thunders. And I love this slide right here, the God of glory thunders. Now, could you imagine, have you ever been where there was a really, really loud clap of thunder? I mean, it's pretty scary. I, I was outside one time in my backyard, and I mean, it was so loud. I thought, you know, I thought I'm fixing to get electrocuted or something, but I mean, it was so loud. Think, this says, God thundered with what? A great thunder. It scared all, the Philistines got all confused, they got all scared, they didn't know what to do and the Jewish people came after them and it says they were routed before the Israelites. God gave them a great victory. In fact, it goes on to say the men of Israel went out of, out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as below beth the city further, even further down. They had a great victory. Now why did they win? Why didn't they win the last time? I mean, they had all kinds of soldiers. They had the Ark of the Covenant. They had everything, and they lost badly. Why? Because they were out of fellowship, and they weren't doing what God wanted to do. Why do they win this time? Because they put away the false gods. They've come to God. They've come to worship him, and they cried out to God, and they've offered their lives as a people group, and they said, oh, we, we give ourselves to you, Lord. And what does he do? He gives a great victory. If you want to have victory in the Christian life, the only way you're going to do it is not live in your power and not have sin in our lives, but live in God's power. That's the only way to do it. Now, look, notice what happened. It says, verse 12, Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin and named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Ebenezer is the stone of help. That's what that means, the stone of remembrance. And Ebenezer means the stone of help. And it basically says, Up to this point, the Lord has helped us. And by the way, they have memorials all the time. The nation of Israel has memorials. Think about it. When they came out of Egypt, you remember that they, they killed a lamb? and put the blood on the door, and when the angel of death came through that night, he passed over them, and so they have a memorial called Passover in which they sacrifice a lamb on the 14th day of the first month every, every year in remembrance. If you remember that the Jewish people have a thing called Purim in which they remember how God gave the victory uh, over uh, the, at the time of Esther, and, and even to this day, they celebrate Purim, and it's sort of like, it's almost like a Halloween or something because they all dress up and give gifts to each other in, in Purim. We have memorials. You realize that? That when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, uh, and when you trust in Him, and you believe in Him to give you eternal life, that moment you've been placed in Christ, you died and rose again with a, to, to, a, to a new life, well, then you get baptized. A memorial, a, a testimony is that you have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life, and so when you get baptized, you're telling everybody, I want everybody to know I've believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life. That's a memorial. You can always look back and say that my baptism was when I told people how I trusted Christ. And then we have the Lord's Supper. We had it not too long ago, and every time we have the Lord's Supper, we remember the death and resurrection of Christ. Bread represents his body. The juice represents his blood. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And so it helps us to remember what God has done. And so this, they put this rock up, Ebenezer, 
the stone of help, so they would remember how God gave them the victory. So the Philistines were subdued, verse 13, and they did not come any more within the border of Israel, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. Look at this, all the days of Samuel. Samuel is that final judge. Samuel is that final judge, and they're going to have victory. In fact, this is as long as Samuel lived, they had the victory. Now, it's going, it's, he's, he's going to turn it over from being a judge. He's going to turn it over to a king, and that king is going to be Saul, and then the Philistines are going to start coming after Saul. And Saul's supposed to be the king now. And instead of the judge being the deliverer, the king is supposed to be the deliverer. That's why they wanted a king, so to fight their battles and to be like all the other nations. That was the wrong reason, by the way. And we're going to see what happens after Samuel turns it over, basically, to Saul, the king. And then it goes on to say, The cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were stored to Israel, from Ekron even to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. So there was peace among Israel, the Amorites. Amorites are just a term for anybody living in that land. He's probably referring to the Philistines there. I wanted to remind you that there's the cities, and they took some of these cities back. The Jewish people had not had these cities because the Philistines had won, and now the Jewish people take back Ekron and Gath. And so really a powerful thing. Now the very last part, is the life of Samuel. Now, he's not, life is not over, but the writer basically gives us a quick synopsis of what his life was like, the, the last part. Notice the key in verse 15. Now, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. If you really want to know it, Samuel was a faithful man. And let me tell you, what do we want? When we stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, which is the rewarding stand, what we want to hear him say is what? Well done, good and faithful servant. We want to be faithful. That's what Samuel did. And let me tell you, wherever you are, whatever gifts, talents, and abilities God's given you, wherever we are, all that he says is just be faithful. He doesn't say be famous. He doesn't say have great successes. He just says wherever I put you, just be faithful to serve. That's all that matters. And you know, some people say, well, I didn't do very much. Were you faithful? That's all that matters. Because when you stand before him, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Look at verse 16. It goes on to say, he used to go annually. He tells us what he did. He used to go annually on the circuit to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah, and he judged Israel all these places. Then he would return to Ramah. That was house was there. And he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. We'll talk about that one in just a second. But let me give you a, list, a little map of where his circuit thing was. He lived at Ramah right there, but he would go to Bethel, Mizpah, and Gilgal. He would go those three places, and that's where people would come, and he would make decisions and help them. Uh, this is Kareth Jerim. That's where they had the, the uh, ark. And then here's Beth Car, one of those cities we're not sure where. Most of the battles took place up in here. And so he lived here in Ramah, and that's where he was as the judge. He was a faithful Man, a faithful circuit judge. Notice how it ends. It says he built an altar to the Lord. You know what that means? That means he worshiped God. That means he was a God worshiper, that he spent time worshiping. And you know, a lot of times people say, well, we come together on Sunday morning to worship, and we sing, we pray, we give, we study all those acts of worship. We can worship God anywhere, because worship is responding to God, who he is and what he has done. Who is he? He is the eternal son of God. What has he done? Died and rose again for us and gives us eternal life. And so we can worship him anytime, any place, anywhere. And so we're now at, I'd like to say, the end of the judges, <clears throat> because we're going to see that as we get into chapters 8, 9, and 10, we're going to find Saul. 
and Saul's going to be the first king. Now, let me just tell you something. When you see Saul, uh, I, sometimes people say, oh, Saul was bad. Saul wasn't bad. Saul started out so good, but he finished so badly. He finished poorly. He was mentally ill, and he was jealous and envious of David. And, and when you see him at first, he's taller than anybody else. He's handsome. In fact, if you, if you looked at the crowd, it says that he was a head taller than everybody else. Now, that, that tells you something, that uh, height is overrated. But anyway, I just wondered, you know, that. but Saul, uh, we're going to see him as chosen, and he starts out so good. And he ends so badly. We want to start out good. And we want to end good. That's the key. So let, let me, let me uh, think about some applications. I want you to think about this. Let's have victory in our Christian lives. Let's do it. Let's do it. Because victory comes by being in fellowship and being obedience to God. Of course, living in the power of the Holy Spirit. That, and that's the key. And so how do we do that? Well, we turn to the Lord. And what do we do? Make sure we turn to the Lord. We, there are three keys. We've got to deal with any sin. First John 1, 9. If we've got sin in our lives, confess it. He's faithful and just to forgive us. We've got to maintain our fellowship, keep our focus on Him, run the race of endurance, looking unto Jesus. And we've got to serve Him. We've got to take and know and apply the Word of God. We've got to take the gifts, talents, abilities God's given us. We've to say to him, I want my life to count for you. I will go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And in Galatians, it talks about walking in the spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. We want to do that. We want to turn to God. The second thing is we want to realize that we are set apart people in the same way that that Eleazar was set apart to keep the ark. We've been set apart for God as holy people, as men and women of God. By the way, you know, our name is, we're sometimes called children of God, but we're also called saints. And the word saint in the Greek means a set-apart one. That's who we are. We're set apart. Let's realize who we are. The third thing is we've got to live in God's power. It's not our power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in us. God lives in us. And then last on this is let's worship him. Let's worship him. And, and as we fall down before him, as we serve him, as we live for him, as we worship him, as we come together, whether it's a Sunday morning or whether it's by ourselves, we have the greatest privilege of all. The second thing I want you to think about is let's just be faithful. In the same way that Samuel was faithful, it says he judged Israel all his life. He was faithful. He did what he was supposed to do. May we be faithful using the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God has given to us so that when we stand before him, that's what he says. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. So as we look at this passage, they turned back to God and had victory. We want to have victory in the Christian life. We, we got to turn back to God, deal with sin, get into fellowship with him, serve him, live for him, make an impact for him.